The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. Here is interview two of the final week of April, my conversation with Kansas State lawmaker Rebecca Schmoy, someone I've known for years. We first connected way back in 2016 at the NRA annual meetings in Louisville, Kentucky. We met through another friend of hers. They were involved in a group called One Million Moms Against Gun Control, and we have stayed connected ever since. And since that time, Rebecca has grown from activist to state lawmaker. She was also doing stuff with the DC Project. We've talked to Deanna Muller and some other DC Project ladies here on the podcast. I've done some of their trainings. I've gone to one of their events that they had in Virginia pre-COVID. And now Rebecca felt tasked to take it up a notch and put her money where her mouth is with respect to defending the Second Amendment and other important values to her in Topeka, Kansas, the capital of the Sunflower State where she serves. And we go into detail about her background, her top issues. And speaking of which, one of the topics you'll hear us talk about is fighting ESG. She's on the Financial Services Committee. And today her governor allowed a bill to stop ESG considerations from going to effect in Kansas, proceed without her signature instead of vetoing it because they have Republican supermajorities in the state. With today's news, I figured her musings on the bill would be very relevant to the conversation. Without further ado, I would like to introduce all of you to Kansas State Representative Rebecca Schmoy of District 59 here on the podcast today. I think you'll enjoy getting to know her. Rebecca, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Well, thank you for having me. I thoroughly enjoy every time I get to talk to you. It has been a long time since I last saw you. I think we were recounting the last time we got together was during that big flyover with DC Project. I think it was 2019, just before the pandemic hit. And I think that was the last time I saw you before that we had first connected at NRA annual meetings in 2016. That feels like ancient history. But now we get to talk at the Kansas State Rifle Association, where I have been doing and preparing for a keynote speech, which I will deliver at the event um, after after the time that this is published, at the time this is published, I will have already given the speech, of course, but preparing for that now, it's coming up soon, and we're trying to catch up and uh, record a conversation, of course. But for my listeners who are unfamiliar with you, could you introduce yourself and then talk about your backstory? Oh, sure. I am Rebecca Schmoy, and I am a freshman legislator in the Kansas House, District 59. And uh, prior to that, I was actually in advocacy. And so what that looks like is I, I was a 
founding member of One Million Moms Against Gun Control right after Sandy Hook happened and the really well-funded red shirt uh, moms came out saying we hate guns and guns are scary and all moms hate guns and people like me at home were seeing this and we understood that our best chance in protecting ourselves and our loved ones is to match force with force and to be prepared to protect ourselves and others. And so I joined forces with that group that generally speaking on social media, you see them as one MMAGC. And then from there, I worked with them for a number of years and then got hooked up with Diana Muller who founded the DC Project. And that is Women for Gun Rights. And we take at least one lady from every state to DC once a year and we descend on every legislator that will have a conversation with us. And we drop information off with the ones that choose not to. Um, really what drives my passion for doing the legislative side of things is the protection of our inherent rights, is the protection of what is built into our Constitution that says we already have these rights and we should be free to exercise them. So the, the jump from advocacy into legislation has been a really interesting transition. However, it's so much the same. Um, I brand my campaign as a grassroots effort because that's what I know from advocacy. And so being able to look people in the eye and say, this is who I am, this is what I believe, and then being able to follow through with that has been an amazing experience, both for myself and for my constituents who knew exactly what they were getting while I was running, and I have done my very best to deliver on every promise that I made. What made you jump from activist to lawmaker? Was it someone who encouraged you to run for office? Because it is a very important decision you have to make. It's a full investment. It's a life change to go from a citizen to a lawmaker. So what propelled that change? Well, I was... Because of the positions I have with Second Amendment and being interested in politics anyway, because of those things, I was paying attention the last day of session, um, one session ago, when my representative, who happened to be the Speaker Pro Tem at the time, announced his retirement from the well. And so I was not expecting that. I had no idea as his constituent that he was not going to seek re-election. He had been our representative for as long as I had lived in that area. And so it was a big deal that he decided not to run again. So since I'm involved in the political circles, I started making phone calls and sending emails and saying, who's the guy? What are we doing? How can I help? What can I do to support? And I got a lot of, we don't know. And so in having those continued conversations, they, a group of people asked if I would run, and I said no. And then they asked again, and I said no. <laughs> and then they asked again, and I said, well, let me, let me pray about it, let me think about it. And I actually work for a bank, a family-owned bank, um, for my real job. And so I went in to my boss and said, this is the opportunity that we have ahead of us. I know that you have just hired me in about a year ago, and I've learned all the facets of your job. I love this company. I love your family. You know, what do you think? And he goes, wow, I'm really going to hate to lose you. 
and then I explained that Kansas legislators make $88.66 a day while they're there. And so <laughs> we laughed a lot about the fact that he wasn't going to lose me. I'm still, I am still a bank employee, and we jokingly say that I am on loan from the bank. <laughs> and so for four months, roughly a year, I get to go up and serve the state and serve my constituents. And then for the rest of the year, then you can find me right there at the bank. What has your first session as a lawmaker been? Because you were sworn into office earlier this year. You're just on the tail end of session. What has that experience been like? And what is some legislation you've put out there as it relates to Second Amendment or conservation? Okay, so I got into this business because I hate politicians. And so naturally, of course, I made myself a politician and decided to surround myself with politicians. Going into the legislative session, I really wasn't sure what to expect. I am used to being in advocacy. You either have people that really love what you do or they work against you every moment of every day. Um, so I wasn't really sure how that was going to play out, and I've been very pleasantly surprised with how amicable everybody has been. And right up until we start hitting the really hard issues, right up until we have the long days of hearing bills on the floor and voting for those, everybody across the aisle is incredibly polite. And everybody's just up there trying to do the best job that they can to represent their areas. And so I highly respect that. I don't always agree with them and I don't always respect the ideas that they are putting forth, but being able to see it from the inside, from behind the curtain, and see how you really do need to all work together in order to protect your constituents, in order to actually be their voice and their vote, it, it, that has been huge for me. Um, as far as the legislation, obviously I'm a Second Amendment advocate. Outside, I continue to do that even though I am in legislation. It's, it's a passion of mine. It's who I am. So even though I was a freshman, obviously they asked me to speak on a few different things. I did speak on um, the Eddie Eagle bill that basically all that does is standardize firearm safety education in Kansas classrooms. It just sets the standard of stop, don't touch, run away, tell a grown-up. If the state board chooses to use the NRA's already marketed, already tested products, whether it's the coloring books, whether it's the videos, if they choose to use what the NRA is providing, it doesn't cost the taxpayer any money. If they choose to use those four tenets of stop, don't touch, run away, tell a grown-up, and package it into a new curriculum with something different that doesn't have the, the three-letter acronym that's a four-letter word of NRA. If, it, if they choose to do something different with those same tenants, then it will cost whatever it costs. And so then they will have to determine how that fits into their budget and decide how they want to package it and roll it out. Ultimately, it's still up to the local school boards to determine whether they want to include that in the, that curriculum within the schools or not. And then it would be up to the parents if they want their child to participate or if they wanted to be able to opt them out. Mm -hmm. So really, it all does just boil down to it's, we're just setting a standard that this is the messaging that we want to get out to keep kids safe, and it's all 100% local control. So I was able to speak on the House side and the Senate side in committees on that, 
and then they actually asked me, even though I'm a freshman legislator, to carry a bill. Um, our attorney general, Chris Kobach, had heard a lot, all of us had heard a lot on the campaign trail about uh, our concealed carry fees. And so he and I, because of the advocacy I've done prior, we've had conversations in the past about having the fact that having to pay to exercise a right is always wrong. And so he specifically said, all right, this is, we need to work on this. This is a giant issue. And since people are writing the $100 check to his office, he was the perfect person to initiate this conversation. And so while he initiated the conversation, I was tasked with carrying the bill on the House side. So I got, uh, we had a lot of conversations and meetings about this is what it's going to look like and this is how I'm going to present it and I'm going to need you to come in and explain what it does to your office budget because that was really the crux of the issue. It wasn't necessarily about the guns themselves at the beginning of the conversation. It was we don't want to have to ask the legislature for more tax dollars to cover this Mm -hmm. if we're not bringing in this revenue. Calling taxpayer money state revenue is just a whole different level for me. That, That is... That's one of my my many pet peeves because the state should not be generating revenue. It's taxpayer money and it should be used appropriately and we should be good stewards of that. Well, our AG had determined that as well and they were able to work their office budget around to where it would cover that loss of the fees Mm -hmm. that were coming in. And so... Long story short, we went through the House side and then the Senate side. The Senate side um, decided to tack on some some wording, and that didn't work out. And so then it, it passed, and then we sent it to the governor. And lo and behold, she signed it. She had just vetoed the safety standardization, the Eddie Eagle bill, She had just vetoed that, even though everybody wants kids to be safe. And then she turned around and signed the bill that got rid of the state fee for concealed carry. We were incredibly prepared to come in and do an override on both of those bills. But the fact that she actually stepped up and signed the bill to get rid of the concealed carry fee really was a testament to all of the preparation that we did across the board trying to make people understand that the AG's office had already taken care of shifting money around. That wasn't going to be an issue. And the fact is is that you can go back to your constituents, regardless of whether you're a, a Republican or a Democrat, you can go back to your constituents and say, we understand that we don't want the background check and the training to be burdensome. We want to make sure that everybody who wants to go that avenue, because Kansas is a constitutional carry state, and there's a lot of people that don't go the avenue of getting their permit. If you choose to put in the effort and the time and the money to get your permit, you shouldn't be burdened with having to pay the state on top of already paying for the class and paying for the ammo and paying for your firearm and paying for the holster and all of the things that go into carrying every day. And so 
being a freshman legislator, getting to carry that and then seeing it go through successfully both sides and then with bipartisan support and then getting the Democrat our, governor. Yes, the Democrat governor to sign it has been outstanding. That is a completely surreal experience and the advocate in me is just doing a happy dance every day because these are the things that we talk about with with each other. These are the things that we talk about within the echo chamber. These are the things that we talk about while we're trying to reach out past our echo chamber. And I just happen to be blessed enough to have the opportunity to carry it before my colleagues in the legislature. And I have the opportunity to be that voice and that vote for my constituents. And it is a massive responsibility that I am forever grateful for. And you also were supportive of a bill for lifetime hunting license, hunting and fishing licenses. Could you speak to that, what the status of that bill is? Uh, well, the governor just line item vetoed the funding for these lifetime hunting and fishing license for youth. And so it was a one-year proviso that they put in last year, and we, they went to redo it and expand it. And for whatever reason, I have not had a chance to talk to her, so I can't speak on her behalf. But for whatever reason, it was not a priority for her to invest in our youth and creating true conservationists. And we are recording this right on, is this Earth Day or was it, it yesterday? Earth Day. Yes. yes, it is Earth Day. Yes, and so... Um, the fact that we are having to battle to try to train up our youth to be good conservationists, and we shouldn't be having to do that. This should be a no-brainer. If you want to push true conservation, if you want to take care of nature, and if you really want to look at having those kinds of conversations, we need to be investing, which is what it would be. It would be a taxpayer investment in training our youth to take care of our natural resources. And I can't think of anything better that we could do with our time and money than train up our youth to take care of our natural resources. Yeah, it should be something that earns bipartisan support. Like, it shouldn't be, you know, divided on partisan lines. So that's interesting. I hope you do get a question, or rather get a response from her. And then you also, as a body, have been tackling ESG. Why is Kansas fighting ESG, and, and what's the status of that, too? All right, so Second Amendment background, uh, 2A situations, uh, businesses, industries uh, all over the nation have been dealing with ESG-type stuff for a long time. We don't like what you do, so we're not going to fund you or we're not going to extend credit to you, things like that. And so this is not a new conversation by any stretch of the imagination, but now it's become more mainstream. And since it's become more mainstream, then we're seeing a whole lot more activity. We're seeing a whole lot more discussion about it in everyday life. When I sit on the Financial Institution and Pensions Board, we had a few different days um, that we specifically only talked about ESG and what that looks like in the financial institution and how Kansas was using their 
their pension, the state pension, and how that was being invested and what was happening. What it boils down to really is the it's legislation by corporation. So you've got corporations coming in, and if they're not seeing the legislation that they are pushing, if they're not moving their agenda forward within their legislation reach, then they are starting to try to legislate through their corporations, and they are trying to do an overreach as far as these people are, we, we agree with what you are doing, we agree with the agenda that you are pushing, so we will fund you. And then you've got the other side of, well, we don't agree with you, and so we're going to cut off funding, or we're going to cut off credit, or we're going to invest in things that you are opposed to. And as far as Kansas legislature is concerned right now, we have sent an ESG bill and our state treasurer is 100% on board. He actually worked with the state pensions uh, committee and really worked together and got some of the, it's not what anybody fully wanted. Some people think it didn't go far enough. Some people think it, go, it goes too far. What it is is it's a foothold. And it is the, it's the opening of the door and the opening of the conversation to really look at things beyond just state pension and starting to protect different corporations and different people from discrimination. And so when you have private, privately owned entities that are actively discriminating against individuals and other privately owned entities, there comes a time when the state really does need to step in. And so as far as the ESG bill that we have right now, it did have bipartisan support. It wasn't a party line vote. And we are expecting most likely the governor to go ahead and veto that. And then we will see if we have enough for an override. Mm -hmm. um, if we don't, it's not the end of the conversation. The, what if she miraculously is. approves it? Do you think there's a chance? Honestly, since she approved the uh the concealed carry fee, there is absolutely a chance because I that was so far out of left field for everything that we know of her that I would not put it past her to go ahead and sign it or if she doesn't sign it. If she does nothing and it just sits on her desk, it will quietly go into law. So even if she doesn't want her signature associated with the ESG bill, she could just wait out the time period and it would just go into law without her signature. Huh. And so we are really hoping that she will either sign it or that it can just go into law. But if she doesn't, then that's a fight that enough of us are really starting to learn about and enough of us are having those conversations that we're all moving towards the, it's not okay to discriminate um, regardless of the reason. And we were all brought up to understand that it's, it really does boil down to you don't get to hold businesses and people into these boxes just because that's where you want them. You know, everybody is free. This, this is still America. And I know that we see a lot of infringement on our rights, and I know that we see a lot of backlash. 
But at the end of the day, we are still a free nation and our people should be able to agree with them or not. We should all be able to respect the no shirt, no shoes, no service policies. And then if you want to continue to do business with these, with a business, whether it's in your hometown, whether it's a large investment business, you should be free to do business with them. If you don't want to do business with them, you should be free to not do business with them. And the corporate overreach and the legislation through corporation, it needs to be addressed. And not just at the state level, it needs to be addressed across the board. And we need to be having those conversations. That only helps liberty. That's a conversation that's not going to go away because we see even efforts at the federal level to kind of tamper down ESG because ultimately it is going to be dictated by government fiat. That's They're trying to force behaviors and the government is saying, great job corporations, we're going to be adopting this model principle into laws and standards by regulatory fiat. We're already starting to see that with the 401k plan from Department of Labor, uh, putting into effect ESG considerations and all across the board. So it's not going anywhere. It's pervasive. It's problematic. doesn't matter your politics. And I think more and more people will see through that. You've had a very impressive, obviously, freshman year. I bet people are listening. They're like, she's so great. How do I follow her? And how do I get so interested to care about these issues even beyond, you know, an activist level? What would you recommend briefly before we conclude for people who want to be in action, they want to run for office? What would you offer to them as a piece of advice if they are interested in jumping like you did into this? The best advice that I can give anybody that's looking at going into running for any kind of office, whether it is your local office, uh, all government is local. And so whether it's a local office or even just a board position in your city or your county, all the way to if you want to run for governor or beyond, my biggest advice is be honest with your constituents. Um, get involved in volunteer organizations, get out there, meet people, because you cannot represent your constituents if you don't know your constituents. I have said in advocacy for years, it is important for you to know who your representatives are. It is way more important for them to know who you are. Mm -hmm. And so get involved in your community. Go do those things. And then when you make the leap and you decide, okay, I'm going to put my name on the line, be absolutely honest about exactly who you are so that if you represent them, then you have no question about when you are voting one way or another. Even if your constituents didn't vote for you, even if they don't agree with you, they should not be surprised with how you vote. They should expect it. And if you can live up to that then I, I think that you've won way more than a seat. You've won integrity and you've won a, a, the true position as it was supposed to be as a citizen legislature. Um, really, probably the most learning curve that I had was running for office. I had no idea how campaigns worked. So if you are looking to get into that realm, if you are looking for that, 
start asking the people that you know that already hold those positions. Start asking the people that you know that work around it, you know, how how do I get into this? And what does that look like? And who does mailing mailings for me? Who would do a newsletter? Who does community outreach programs and things like that? And start to build your network. And I was kind of a one-off. I was an interesting case where I found out about it, and within about five months, I was already in my primary. And so I, I signed on the line. I, find, I found out about it not even a month out. I signed on the line to run, and within five months, I was already in full campaign swing. So I didn't have the, the time to put into really paving the way for myself. This was all just kind of thrown together and um, <laughs> thankfully I already know how to do grassroots stuff. But contact the people that agree with you and start having conversations with them and start really building out from your core groups. If you're involved in um, a gun club, Go talk to them and, and have them introduce you to people that they know. And if you're involved in your local party, introduce yourself to them and have them introduce you to people that they know. We, we joke around a lot about networking and things, especially how, like how you and I met yeah. whenever I was up at NRA with Million Moms. But it really does start there. Because I don't know the people that you know, you don't know the people I know, and when we make those inter introductions and we make those connections, that's, that is really how we move the ball forward. Where can my listeners connect with you, follow the legislation you're pushing, your advocacy, lay down where they can connect with you? Okay, that's a list. Um, <laughs> okay, so, quick, quick all right. Um, one Million Moms Against Gun Control. You can find us at 1mmagc.org. Uh, DC Project is dcproject.info. You can find me personally on social media of all kinds. I mean, it's a necessary evil in today's society. And that is just my name, Rebecca Schmoy. And then for my political side, it is Rebecca Schmoy for Kansas. State Representative Rebecca Schmoy. It's so funny to call you that now because I know you on a personal <laughs> basis, but congratulations on a very first successful term in office. I'm certain you're destined for continued greatness, and I hope people listening will be inspired by your story and want to do a similar thing like you do, uh, running for office, getting more engaged beyond the basics. So thank you again for coming on. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure you're connected to us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And also on your preferred player, we recommend Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us reviews if you really like the content. Share the podcast with friends who may be interested in learning more about what's trending in conservation and the related industries that entangle with it and sometimes work against it as well. Thanks for listening to the show and stay tuned for the next episode.